Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about biz dev systems for soloists. Ready? Go. Yes! Yes! (laughs) (laughs) This was so funny to me because we had both said, yo, you know, we'll query our our respective communities and see what people have to say. And I didn't realize how different um, our client bases are. It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's not a conversation that, that I ever hear. Nobody, as far as, I mean, there, I'm sure there's some exceptions that just don't mention it, but uh, nobody in my universe really does biz dev. But maybe we should start with a definition so that people even know what we're talking about. Yeah, so, well, do you, shall I just dive in? Yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs> so I think of business development as a very one-to-one kind of process. So for example, let's say you're doing a podcast as part of your outreach. I think of that as marketing. Mm-hmm. I don't think of podcasting as business development, although you might have business development conversations right. with the people um, you know, kind of behind the screen or in the green room. So business development is that one-to-one outreach where basically what you're doing is trying to add to, to continually warm up your contacts so that eventually the right ones become buyers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the closest thing that usually gets discussed in this that you could even squint at and kind of say is biz dev in my side of the fence or on my side of the fence would be what you described where people are inviting guests on their shows who would make good clients or at least presumably would. And, uh, and sort of ha- and potentially having, using that as a foot in the door to kind of have a, a biz devish kind of conversation, short conversation off mic. The other thing is, and this again, you got to squint to really consider it biz dev, is taking leads that are warm, but maybe they're not in an urgent need situation. They're not ready to buy right now. And and saying, hey, would it be okay? You know, best way to, to keep in touch. We should keep in touch. Yes. Uh, best way would be if uh, could I just add your uh, email address to my mailing list? And that way you'll just automatically get updates from me and you can reply to any message that goes right to me. And they usually say yes to that. So, that, I mean, that is the closest. I'm trying to think, was there one other one? The only other things are, are, are I wouldn't call systems. There's more like, desperation, spammy freelance, like, oh my God, I don't have enough money coming in this month. I'm going to send an email to all my past clients and say, hey, I've got an opening in my calendars Uh, or anything. I mean, it works sometimes. You don't want to be in a situation to need to do that. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it can work. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a system. And it does feel very Mm freelancer-y to me. Like, oh, okay, I'm finishing Project X. What's next? And sometimes people do that kind of at the beginning of their uh, consulting career um, as they get off an assignment because they're not, they haven't developed a system yet. And the thing that I, that I hate the most about that is the emotional toll it takes on the person right. because you don't know where your next meal is coming from, so to speak. And that's hard. And it, it's hard for that not to reflect in that communication and even have a sense of desperation about it. Right, right. Which scares them away, has a, a mm-hmm. negative effect on your ability to set a, a good price. So it's, not, it's definitely bad. Okay, but so that that is the list of things that I see from my group of people. So, uh, you know, and I'm sure there are outliers that just don't talk about it or something. But generally speaking, those are the things that come up. 
Well, and I, I guess I want to be clear. I'm not saying that, you know, having to do one-to-one business development is something that everyone should aspire to. It, it goes along with a very particular kind of expertise business. And you, you don't have to build your business that way, but it tends to be, it tends to result in businesses that are a whale-like model where, you know, maybe three to five clients and you're making a lot from each one. So a lot of these businesses that use this in an ongoing way have exceedingly high revenue. And I mean, they're not at 100 or 200, they're at five, six, a million, even more. And you're talking about solo businesses. Yes. So these are, these are not the only time I've really been exposed to what I would consider like serious biz dev was when I was consulting with a firm that probably had 10 people when I joined and quickly grew to like 200. Uh, And there was a dedicated biz dev person, Mm -hmm. you know, and they were just like super attractive, super personable and could talk to anybody and you just wanted to do you just wanted to like be around this guy <laughs> you know so uh, it it's it was how is it different from sales it it feels like f- just farther up the funnel sales to me so uh, let me explain it this way like the guy that you just described he's what i might call a 90% person mm-hmm. and by that i mean 90% of the people that he encounters are going to like him yes right and that's part of what he he does and part of what he he grooms in himself is that likability and and um, he he's going to have to have a certain amount of knowledge, technical knowledge, but he doesn't have to be a technical person in order to get enough technical knowledge to sell and to be liked and to build relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, with a soloist where you're doing business development, obviously you're not a salesperson, just a salesperson, right? Because you're delivering the goods. And that's both a positive and a negative. It's a positive because you are able to embody this thing that you will be the service or this product or productized service that you will be delivering. So you have all that in you and your your buyer is interacting and you're building a relationship with the person who's actually going to do the work. There's no, you know, middle person. Mm The negative part is exactly that. Yeah. There is no middle person and you're not leveraging, right? You're, so it's, it's a, it tends to be, well, it can be a reasonable consumer of time beyond the time that you spend doing whatever content you create, like podcasts right. or a LinkedIn post or your blogs and articles. Right. Yeah. This was this dude's full time job. And I, I, yeah. I hasten to point out that we did have also, or they had a full-time salesperson who was uh, different. There, it was, it was, you know, the, the first guy, the biz dev guy, was not a sales guy. I was sort of saying that earlier, almost facetiously. The and then the sales guy was like a closer, a closer, and yeah. Yeah. So, so the biz dev guy, he didn't just, he didn't just do outreach to people who would probably or potentially make good whale clients. But they were, you know, everybody he was talking to was whale-ish. Uh, he would also reach out to people that would potentially good partners in terms of sending leads back and forth, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, referral sources. Right, or or making relationships with, let's say, like a big media outlet 
that would, which was more of a marketing-ish function or PR mm -hmm. function, but it was, it was 100%. The thing about it that was consistent across all the different kinds of people he would reach out to and, and kind of bring to the table was 100% relationships. It was, he was just building relationships with, it was probably, at least I was only exposed to sort of three different types of people, three different types of other companies. And it just, yeah, it was like creating relationships for, I would guess, just sort of so that the other people could refer us, we were top of mind, maybe they would hire us, um, that sort of thing. So, but then they, like when there was a deal on the table, they brought in Tim and Tim closed it. <laughs> he, yeah. either, he either, he brought it to a close one way or another very quickly. Yeah. Either lost well, or won. Th there's a lot of different ways in professional service firms to build a sales and marketing function. Um, the organization that I kind of grew up in, you know, we couldn't even use the word sales. Marketing meant sales. <laughs> and so we didn't, we had a, a few corporate true marketing people who did the, you know, the stuff, mm -hmm. right? The website and all of that stuff. Um, but the sales were done by, uh, if not the people doing the work, the people who used to do that kind of work, mm -hmm. right? So the partners would do most but not all of the selling. There was another firm that we competed with all the time that actually had salespeople. And we used to scoff at that. We were like, oh, yes, they have salespeople, whereas we have people who are actually doing the work. Well, both firms were equally successful in yeah. different ways mm -hmm. with a different model. And so those kinds of models inside a firm really impact how people think about what I'm going to sell and who I'm going to sell to. So when you're a soloist, it's like there's not a lot of options, right? You either figure out how to sell. where If you need to sell one-to-one, -one, you figure out how to do that. Even if you don't need to sell one-to-one, -one, I'm going to argue you still need to build relationships um, in business because that's where business comes from. And you don't know what interesting and helpful people you will meet through your relationships until you start to pay attention to them. Mm. Yeah, that's 100% true. It's like shocking what's out there when you start to like poke around. So, well, so and I also, well, let me just add this other thing though. I also think there's this dream, I've heard this so many times, that there is a perfect salesperson out there. And if I could just find them, I would never have to sell again. And I would pay them whatever it takes because then they'd be bringing me so much business that I wouldn't even worry about it anymore. And I just want to say, for most of us, that is a fallacy, that until you figure out, even if you're not a soloist, until you figure out how to sell what you have, there is no one magic person who's going to be able to do it. You might be able to find someone who can help you strategize yeah. on how to do it, but you have to have that strategy first and know that it works. There isn't a, a magic bullet in the form of the perfect salesperson. Yeah, I've, I've been exposed to lots of situations where the salespeople are like, "We literally cannot sell this. We we mm -hmm. we don't we don't understand what this thing does. Like, you need to let us talk about it in a different way. You know, you can't. It's so anyway. I'm just piling on. Yes, I agree with that. But but let's uh, let's let's try and focus this down to practical soloist advice. Because cause so far, I'm feeling like there's a reason why I haven't heard a lot of biz dev talk in a soloist 
primarily solos community because it's too much work. It's the kind of thing you do <laughs> want to outsource, but you can't really outsource it well unless you get to a certain point. Like it's not the first thing you'd hire for. So what does it look like in, you know, in, so you've got some yeah. people who are very successful soloists who do biz dev. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, I don't want to say that it's like hugely time consuming because it's not done well business development for a soloist with an existing, you know, profitable business. And we're not talking about somebody that's just starting and doesn't know where the next project comes from. It's it's a very small part of your week. But so let's talk about like where you start. Mm -hmm. So the beginning of any business development process is who do we want to know? Mm -hmm. Who's our ideal client? Who's our ideal buyer? I would add to that who might refer us or what, what we used to call centers of influence. So like if you are, let's say you're a CPA, a center of influence might be estate attorneys. A center of influence might be financial planners or financial advisors, like the kinds of people and professions that might refer people to you and vice versa. Right. Because that's the best is when you can come up with um, centers of influence where it's mutual, where you help them and they can help you. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing, obviously, is you should have a really good idea of what it is that you're selling mm -hmm. and the kinds of language that you want to use around that. But I want to point out that these for the most part, these are not selling conversations in the beginning. These are get to know you conversations. Let me understand what kinds of challenges you're facing. Um, let me have a maybe, again, depending on the specialty, maybe we'll even have a, a, a brief brainstorm discussion on a thing that you're playing with. So it's really, you know, understanding who you're serving and what their problems are, as well as how to translate your expertise to their world. And it's I mean, that's really simple. It's a very one-to-one -one kind of thing. And it's eased when you have a niche, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So if you're just calling on, you know, technology executives and financial service companies, that's narrow enough that you can become known to a group of people in there, not just from your podcast or your writings, but from people one-to-one -one having worked with you or encountered you. Mm -hmm. So what everyone's busy Rochelle why would anyone pick up the phone or return my message to like hey let's grab coffee and talk about your big business problems person I've never met before so like tactically speaking what is the um what is the approach that folks use at the at the hardest part of this which is the very beginning of the relationship like what is the initial um contact i guess like what is it what does it look like yeah. in different situations let me answer that in two ways one is there are people you already know even if you've just started your business there are people from where you worked before that you know so start with them mm -hmm. because that's an easy lift it's somebody you know and you can start to like practice and get more comfortable with them most of the of the people that i've worked with get their those initial um contacts in one of two ways either it's something on linkedin because that's so you know target rich when you think about um corporate people or people who are buying b2b services um and the other is that they've been referred 
by somebody. So maybe it's a former client. They said, oh, you should talk to so-and-so. Or it was a podcast guest somewhere. And they, they said, oh, uh, the host of the XYZ show said, I, you know, I must talk with you. Mm-hmm. So those are the kinds of openings. And you can, you can force some of those inside of LinkedIn. And by force them, I mean you can uh, decide that you're going to go and connect with um, you know, 50 people in your space over the course of the next, you know, month or two. And when I say connect, I mean, literally just like they're, you're connecting in LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And then you, uh, you provide value to them, because that's the core about this. I think there's a, there's this feeling that somehow business, business development is about beating people over the head until they buy from you. Mm-hmm. And really, what it's about is getting to know them and understanding what their stuff is and being a resource it is it's really it's it can be very relaxed and i think that the the more comfortable that one can get with this idea that yes we're selling but we're doing it for the benefit of the other party mm-hmm the easier it gets because then you'll explain to somebody who's a bad fit that you're really not the right person to help them with. But you know what? I know so-and-so who is really smart about this. Let me connect you with them and mm-hmm. see if that might make sense. You're, you're being helpful. Right. So, <laughs> but they know this is a thinly veiled attempt to get my money, Rochelle. <laughs> And it is true. There, there's a massive amount of poorly executed examples of this on LinkedIn oh. in particular. Yes. And uh, I actually just went through this this exercise. I do. I do. You know, as I, I think I mentioned up front, the the LinkedIn outreach thing uh, it does work for some people if you do it well and mm-hmm. differentiate yourself from the flood of spammers who are like here are three paragraphs and 17 links about my company thoughts you know and just like complete or like recruiters that are like you know it's bro it says right in my profile not looking for work but okay Um, (laughs) so there's just a lot of that noise in the dms on linkedin but there are ways to do it and and i you know i was working with someone recently who just went through a phase of this kind of kind of listening tourish it was there's it really wasn't something to sell it was more like we were looking for language that they would use to describe mm-hmm. their what keeps them up nights so as simple as that and still people are like it's two two things of it that i that i think might surprise people who haven't tried it first of all a shocking number of people were willing to help so the, the question was hey I, yes. you know it was basically like i noticed that you're an expert at thing that target market is an expert at could i ask you a quick question about that and massive number of yeses just i don't know the percentage but just mm-hmm. dozens and dozens and dozens of yeses and in lots of like well i don't really consider myself an expert but go ahead and just people really generous with their time which will shock anybody who curses under their breath while they're deleting their their linkedin dms <laughs> <laughs> so well yeah. So and then the yeah. other, and then the the, uh, but then you can feel them, because you know I like read through these threads. I can feel them waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, wait a second, why is this person asking me these questions? And that there's a certain point where, where my guy needs to say, well, I have a podcast that's in this space, 
And I'm just trying to keep current because I'm not actually in this, you know, I'm in the space, but in a different way. And I just, you know, want to keep current with what's up to date. And I don't, I, I don't trust the headlines. I wanted to get inside information from people like you and so forth. So, but mm-hmm. there's this, there's this moment where they become even like the most generous people, they become wary about, uh, about what does this person want? They start thinking, what does this person want? And this wasn't the exercise, but that would be a, a perfect time. Hey, Reggie. But that would be a perfect time to, once unco- once this is uncovered, if you did have expertise in the space, my guy doesn't, but if you did have expertise in the space, to say, like, have you thought about this, or have you seen this post, or uh, or whatever. Like, do something helpful right there. It starts off with you asking for a favor, basically. Could I ask you a question? Yes, here's the question. Here's a great answer. And then, like, if they expose something about their struggle or challenge or whatever, and you're, you are an expert in that space, then you could suggest something that is not by my thing, but you know, have you read this or whatever? Um, so super tactical zoomed in approach that I could imagine working for, for the opening, which I think is the hardest part. It seems to me that is the toughest part. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's like anything, right? It's, it's getting started. And uh, the other thing I've seen uh, really successfully, and I've done it myself, is where you do a campaign on LinkedIn, not an ad campaign, but you uh, maybe you, you upgrade to their uh, sales navigator and you do a search on whatever parameters are of interest to you. And then you start reaching out and connecting with those people. And when I've done that, I've done it very low key. Like all I want from them is to connect. I'm not trying to sell them anything. I'm not trying to pick their brain and nothing. I just figure that if they're in there and I I start to post some interesting things in LinkedIn that are engaging, that they will they will engage. Mm-hmm. And that's how they'll get to know me and know that I'm safe, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> that it's okay, she's all right, okay, well, I get what she's about. And what's interesting is the reverse works as well because then I'm seeing, they're, they're showing up in my feed and I'm seeing what they're writing about and the people who are there a lot or who comment on the posts of other people that I know and respect, I, I start to feel like I know them. You know, I see their little picture. Mm-hmm. I, if I read enough of their comments, I'll get to know them. Um, and you'll find that there are certain people in your network who seem to be kind of the connectors, mm-hmm. where they're writing probably more stuff than you ever would. And they're they're engaging, they're interacting, and you can participate in their stuff. And you get some reflected glory, if you will, because you're just doing your thing. So I'm not even remotely suggesting that one has to be like a LinkedIn ninja <laughs> to be able to do this. But it is a really good starting point to kind of warm people up. Um, yeah. And there's another part of this too, though, which is, I think makes it easier, which is that you assign priorities, right? So when you, if you, if you're uh, keeping data on this, and we can talk about you know different ways to do that. But if you are, I love having you know A, B, and C, or one, two, and three, like three categories of priority, so that you can always keep the most important people to you front and center. Mm-hmm. And you've got a way, whether it's systematized or just in a in an Excel spreadsheet somewhere or a Google sheet, you've got a way to instantly remind yourself of who they are, what they care about. And hopefully, you know, your next action with that person. Mm. Yeah. Super good, tactical, specific advice. 
I want to jump back to the LinkedIn thing because I, I want to emphasize something that you said that I think is total genius. Uh, and I've seen work for other people, which is the engaging with the other person's content. So mm -hmm. yes, you connect with a bunch of people. Maybe they'll see your stuff that you, your smart stuff that you post to me, that's just marketing. That's content marketing, not biz dev. And that, but then if you're strategically deciding with, through this list of people that you said, the last point you made, maybe there's 20 people on that list. Maybe there's only 10 and you set up alerts so that anytime they post something, you get notified of it. And whether it's LinkedIn or somewhere else, maybe they're active on Reddit or Twitter or somewhere else, but you're aware of it and you can, what, what does someone want when they publish something on social media? They want engagement. They want it desperately. They want it so bad. It's all they want. <laughs> they want likes. They want That's comments. True. They wouldn't be posting there if that wasn't what they wanted. They want to know that they're not shouting into the void. So if you, you know, I'm not saying be disingenuous, but if, you know, if they're smart and there's someone that you want to be engaged with, someone that you want to have a relationship with, it's probably completely genuine that you'd be like, oh my God, this is genius. I never thought of this. What an insight. Um, you know, maybe if you have a podcast, I'd love to have you on the show to drill into this point. Um, maybe if you have, or, or if you're just, uh, maybe you don't have a podcast, but you're, you're like, you know what, I want to do a whole article on this. Could I interview you for the article? Are there three other people that you think would be good to interview? Really engage with their stuff. And what are you doing? You're providing value first. Because that's the mm -hmm. trick. It's like, how do you lead with value to a total stranger without setting off their stranger danger alert or their spam alert? It's not easy these days. I suppose it never was, yeah. but it, it's well, hard. In some ways, it's easier today because at least you can get to these people. Like mm. when there was like a secretary and, you know, and a big office between you, it's that's tougher. Um, but I think, you know, the, the group that probably has the most challenges with this are those who are trying to hit Fortune 500 or Fortune 100 or even Fortune 50 executives in a space. Like you want the C-suite mm -hmm. of those organizations. Those people are still really protected. A lot of them are not on social media very much. Mm -hmm. And that's why your relationships with the people around them are so critical. And again, usually when somebody comes out of a corporate role, they know some of these people already. Mm -hmm. So it helps that you've known them in real life. Right. And then you kind of use social media to maintain a connection. It's definitely easier than sparking one. But it's really, it's so much easier than people who are maybe a little shy or a little skeptical because most of us are looking for well, we're looking for wisdom, we're looking for ideas, we're looking for help if we have a big challenge. Um, yeah, I once had somebody to say to me, um, okay, this is what I wanna do. And he described this big thing. He goes, but I don't know how to get there. He goes, I know you do. <laughs> you need to show me how to do this. And I was like, oh, yes. That was like, that was a great day. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That's what, and that's what you want for your clients. And so, as part of this is you're doing all the things we talked about, which is you're, you know, you're emailing on a regular basis. You have a list. You maybe you have a podcast if that's your thing. Um, you're doing all of those things, and then in addition, you're doing this little bit. And the reason I keep saying little bit is this is not a big mountain to climb. This is you start very, very small. You look at who's already in your universe. 
that might be good future clients. And again, you're targeting. So you're not, you know, looking at the the guy who's baking your bread down the street if that's not your target. You're very, very focused. And the more focused you are, the easier this is because everybody within that niche, not everybody, but key people know each other. Yeah, they're usually once very small. Yeah. And once you've worked with them or you've known them through some professional or even social capacity, they start to talk about you. Right. And they share information. And so it becomes a very organic, natural thing as long as you build it into your process so that you're not... um, Work, let's say you're the kind of person that works on a big project. So you maybe work for with um, one to three or four or five clients for six to eight months. You don't suddenly put your head up like a, you know, like a groundhog when you're done at the eight months and go, oh, I wonder what we do now. You're doing a little bit, at least every week. You don't have to do it every day, but you're doing a little bit every week all the way up to there. So by the time you have availability, you've got some people who are ready for you. Yeah, it's it's an activity that falls into the garden, gardening category. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to loop back to something that you, you quickly touched on. And I'm curious, in the real world, like with examples from your side of the fence, how many people are doing this strictly remote, like digital, and how many are incorporating some, some kind of in-person trade shows, conferences, Davos, TED, something. Mm-hmm. How, how many are, uh, even even if there's just spe- just attending or they're speaking, like how many include that? And how many are just much more strictly over email? I almost hesitate, phone almost feels like in person to me. There's well, this- you have to, have, yeah, you have to have permission to call somebody now, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just pick up the phone and call them anymore. Yeah, um, you have an appointment practically. Yeah. So, you know, I would, I'm thinking about it. I would say it's somewhere between 90 to 95% are incorporate some aspect of real life, obviously not during the extended pandemic, but, um, and, and a lot of that is conferences, right? Because if you're specialized within an industry, you go where the people are and that's where you, you either, um, expand existing relationships and, or you, you start new ones. Mm. Um, like I'm one of the few that I can think of, and I'm not my own client that, that really doesn't do much, you know, in person Mm -hmm. there, there's not a specific yet, um, conference for people in the expertise space. Well, that's not true. There's, there's David Baker's MYOB, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a very good conference for people that have creative firms. Right. Um, but yeah, most are are doing both. And some, when they're in a very uh, target-rich physical environment, are doing more like coffees. So if you're in um, like, you know, a, a small town in the middle of Iowa, you're probably not doing the coffee thing. But if you're in Silicon Valley, you probably are. And, you, and maybe you're having, you know, a beer after work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, a quick story from someone on my side of the fence. It's not a soloist. It's maybe, uh, I think they're like an eight eight or maybe 10-person firm at this point. Dev shop, basically. And uh, and they do have a dedicated person, I would call biz dev slash salesperson. Like person who's in charge of creating new client relationships. I'm not sure what their title is. But uh, just, just tried all the things online. Couldn't get any traction. 
uh, with a particular target market, extremely specific target market. And, and then night and day, the whole thing turned around when they started going to trade association events, just mm. overnight, like multiple sales calls per week. So, yeah. you know, it's uh, moral of the story is it can depend very much on the industry. Like, are these people that only do business with people they've met in person? In this case, yes. And since that's got an inherent scarcity to it, in other words, their competitors aren't also at the, you know, parking garage construction association of America event, then it's like, oh, we're the only people here that do this kind of thing. And so like, there's a line mm-hmm. of people talking, you know, that want to talk to them. Actually, I had a similar experience when I went to when mobile was really peaking and basically everyone was like, oh man, we got to get on this bandwagon. I spoke at a thing called Murtec, which stood M-U-R-T-E-C, which was like a, it was kind of like a conference for CTOs in the chain restaurant space, like McDonald's and Panera and all that. I was the only person speaking that, that talked about I think anything digital at all, and definitely the only one that, t- that talked about mobile specifically. And this was bef- this was after Starbucks had their mobile app, but before anybody else did. And the, the trade show, the trade show floor was full of people trying to demonstrate these tablet-based POS systems, which now are ubiquitous, at least where I live. But this was in probably 2010, 2011. And, uh, and it was like it was like shooting fish in a barrel basically i you know like like you go to the trade show and never, nobody wanted to really there's you know skeptical like eh what what's this what do you got sell me on this thing pitch me on this thing right <laughs> meanwhile i had a, two separate rooms full of ctos of multi-million dollar companies like asking me questions about like what about iot what about bluetooth beacons or whatever was popular at the time so exactly but see you know think how powerful that is not 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 from your end but from theirs right because they've got a chance to ask you these questions and they're going to remember you for that yeah and the cost of that you know there's a time cost and and you know the physical cost of getting Mm -hmm. there but that is so valuable and that's what we're talking about when we talk about in the being in the authority space right it's kind of like the equivalent of having a bunch of people who are exactly your ideal buyers begging you for answers <laughs> to their most pressing questions. Right, because you, you've, you've anteed in, right? Because you also traveled and you did the thing and you know, you've, you've put skin in the game, you've taken a risk and you've been anointed by the conference organizers that you're not full of it. You know, you know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of things working in your favor. So I guess the takeaway would be especially, and this is especially if you're trying to get to those people that have a lot of gatekeepers around them, uh, that the in-person thing creates this, this, I almost want to say artificial scarcity, but it creates a scarce environment where you're probably not in competition with hardly anyone. And in, in that moment, so it could be that the takeaway from this is to, is to, uh, you know, if you're, let's say you're deciding between, uh, two or three different target markets, and one of them is online like crazy and the other one, your buyers are online like crazy. And the other one, you know, one is, is online a lot. The other one isn't online a lot. Then for, you could make a strategic decision to be like, well, I don't want to fight with all the other people who can sort of lazily in their jammies, get access to these people. I want to, you know, put on my dry clean clothes, fly to this place and, and be the only one, be the only name in town, the only game in town. 
you know, that could be, a, that's just a personal decision. Like which, which fight do you want to fight? And well, there, there's also things have changed in the last few years, you know, cause we had this collective, um, turning ourselves into introverts in, in our jammies in our house, um, you know, a couple of years plus. And then, and now I feel like there's such a hunger for in-person experiences. It's like, we want to touch people again. And so yeah. there's some opportunities there. And, and I can argue sometimes the best use of a conference isn't to speak at all. Like usually that's where somebody starts, like, oh, I wanna get, I wanna be the keynote speaker or I wanna speak at one of their breakout groups. I had a, a client where we came up with this very successful thing for them where all they did, there, there was one organization and they picked uh, two conferences a year and they would go and they would uh, pay for an exceptional speaker. And when I say speaker, I don't mean a platform speaker, but I mean a thinker speaker. And they would do a dinner. Yep. And they'd have, you know, usually 10 to 12 spots, a big round table, and they would have this person who was a celebrity in their niche. Mm -hmm. And that person would be the focus. And so it was invitation only. You, you were not allowed to substitute, like mm -hmm. you send your second in command note. So they did so much business yeah, out of that. that process. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things like this you can do, even as a soloist when you are really focused and you know exactly who you want to reach and what might intrigue them right yeah i love that idea here's an even bigger one i don't know if this might be this might be out of the realm of reality for soloists uh, but i worked with with a, a larger firm who created a trade association so mm -hmm. they uh, they they were like we want to create it was kind of like it was kind of like a mastermind, really, but it wasn't. It was like a, what do they call it? Like a mobile innovation council or something like that. And they they created it like a thing. Like if you heard of it, you wouldn't think like someone just made it up. But of course, every trade association and mastermind is just made up by somebody. Yeah, but, <laughs> at some point, right? But they took a leadership role. Like they said, you know what? There's not a thing that we could go to to kind of like. There's no place where we could buy a trade show table. In other words, like the, the conference yeah. doesn't yet exist for the thing that we that we want to do. And they didn't want to, you know, I suppose they could have started a conference, but they didn't want to do that, I guess. So they started like an invitation only, just like you said, we're reaching out to we want one person from each one of these sectors, healthcare, infrastructure, uh, space, uh, you know, just around the horn. And we want one person from each of these sort of non-competitive industries that don't compete with each other to meet, I think it was once a year, twice a year, something like that, in person, no substitutes. And and it costs like, I don't know, they had to pay like $50,000 to to be on the, on the I can't mm -hmm. remember what they called it. The, I feel like council. And... Uh, and it was, I, I mean, they, I know they did at least one that worked. And and the, there's this really, this hilarious FOMO, which is like, look, you're the, you're the leading company in aerospace. We want you, Bob Smith, CEO of this aerospace company or CIO of this aerospace company. We want you. If you can't do it, we'll get Alice Jones. <laughs> from, from your arch competitor. From your arch nemesis. <laughs> and we'll brainstorm in a room with, yeah, 
And it was like, yeah. it's like, oh, it was almost like holding them hostage. We better pay the 50 grand. Yeah. So Well, and you can do something similar as a soloist. Um, I have a client who, uh, and, and she pulled together a couple of other people to do it with her, but they started... Um, originally it was a conference and I think now it's extended to more of an organization and it's around a particular title in certain kinds of companies. Mm. And she was able to do it very, very low cost um, because they started an organization and she got some people a little bit like what you did, not quite the same, but um, because it's an organization that probably has at least 200 members now. Um, But she partnered with a couple of deep pocketed Fortune 500 companies Mm. who put out the seed money, but she will always be known as one of the founders of that organization and always gets to speak. Right. It becomes like this super connector and like famous, exactly. famous locally. Mm-hmm. Um, here's another, here's another small scale DIY version of it that I've been exposed to. And, and, and also speaks to your comment earlier, which I believe is true that people have kind of swung back to uh, a thirst for in-person events. And, and, you know, the last thing I want to attend is another virtual summit. So um, a guy named Dan Oshinsky who runs Inbox Collective, which is kind of like uh, uh, his his superpower is email newsletters. And he, he's worked with some really big companies on their email newsletters. And he's partnered with a, a company that's more of a, a big-ish company to put on these. Uh, uh, I can't think of the name of it, but there are these dinners in big cities in the U.S., perhaps abroad as well, but the ones I've seen are in the U.S. And he just reaches out to people on his mailing list who presumably he knows where they live or or maybe I answered a survey at one time about where I live. And he's like, hey, we're doing a dinner with uh, a group of people who maintain daily email lists. It's going to be in Boston. It's free. Uh, it's this night. It's free, but there's only 20 people. So they're allowed because of the space, mm. right? So this is natural, real, not fake scarcity. Are you in or out? You know, and it's great. And and they so I remember he did one. I think he's in New York. Did one in Boston. I had a conflict, but I was dying to go. Couldn't go. And uh, and now this year they they're doing them. I think in six or seven cities in the U.S. So it's like and like think that wouldn't. That's just not that hard. It's not that hard to organize. I mean, that's like organizing a. It's it's like a family reunion dinner, you know, it's nothing. Oh, it's easier. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's easier. Right. It's easier than that. Yeah. For you sure. find a restaurant, you book a room that can seat 20 people. Yeah, restaurant's happy to have the business and yeah, it's just not, not that hard. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you're traveling, um, mm-hmm. you know, I have a client who, whenever he has to go to like New York, he makes a point of, okay, who do I know that's in New York goes through the list and then, you know, tries to get as many meetings as he can while he's there. I mean, I, I do the same thing when I get to New York. There's always somebody, everybody knows somebody <laughs> in New York, right? right? And so, yeah. And so that's, I could argue that that is a habit of people who are really good at business development because they're you're not meeting with people you don't like. Mm-hmm. You're not meeting with people you don't resonate with. You're meeting with people who help you move your ideas forward. And that's energizing. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I should be careful. An introvert might not find that energizing. They'll find the aftermath energizing. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Yep. But even so, even if you're an introvert, it's great to be able to do a dinner or a lunch versus a three-day conference. Oh, much oh, smaller yeah. lift yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. an introvert. Agreed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm like hiding in my hotel room. If I have to be at a conference for three days, uh, I'm hiding for two of them. <laughs> I can handle about <laughs> one day of big crowds. I, lo- I actually, I love seeing people in person. I can just, it just only handle about a day of it. Well, it depends on, you know, how it is too, right? Because you can be, you can have like some, you know, small conversations, but if you know a lot of people and you're constantly being interrupted, that has a cognitive load too, right? Right. It could be a small conference, but you know everybody and it's harder to kind of get away. Yep. Yeah. There are a lot of like awkward social interactions that are like, you're talking to someone and someone else is standing there dying to talk to you. And it's like, there's like this weird tension. Yeah. So, well, I think, how, how are we doing on BizDev? I think we've given sort of like a f- wide-ranging, tan- yeah, tangent-laced <laughs> discussion. As usual. As usual. But I, I feel like we've snuck in some very specific advice. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- I think there's a little bit of something in here for just about everybody. I think the, the, the way that I would... Um, kind of bring this to a close is that, you know, what we haven't really said is, you know, what's the system? And we gave examples of this, but whatever your system is, you do want to track it. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you have to go, you know, buy Salesforce or Pipedrive. (laughs) Um, I mean, you can. Pipedrive is better than Salesforce for our kinds of businesses, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, you know, you could just have a, a, a spreadsheet. But keep track someplace and preferably someplace that you own. LinkedIn is not a good place to to track this stuff because, you know, if you if you get off their sales navigator, you lose all of the data. Mm -hmm. Um, If LinkedIn decides they don't like you, you're at risk. Mm -hmm. So I would have, you know, some place where you're keeping track of this and then just build it into your week, whether that's you look at it at the beginning of the week, you look at it at the end of the week. I have one client who's pretty savvy and he actually programmed this thing to send him certain kinds of alerts. And so it just pings him whenever he's supposed to do something (laughs) because he might not remember otherwise. I mean, you know, you work with the way that you work best and you kind of make these systems bend to your will is how I think of it. But you definitely do want to track this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I liked your, just to wrap on the system piece, I like your idea of having a list of the people being very, very clear to the point of having names of people, not just companies, names Mm -hmm. of people you want to create relationships with having a recurring to do or something that pings you uh, to remember to, to reach out or do something, whatever your thing is to do that thing on a regular basis. It's like gardening, not hunting. And then maybe if you want to get fancy, set up things like Google alerts or alerts in different communities where these people are potentially going to be posting things to be aware of what they're sharing, what they're interested in, to just get to know them, do your homework to get to know them. And then it'll make it just a lot easier for you to connect with them when you finally do. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's systematizing it. And I think people can get lost and oh, what system should I buy? Doesn't matter. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. I mean, if you if you need to put it on a piece of paper, like, go do that. Mm-hmm. But but just do it because you will forget. Oh yeah. You think you won't, 
but you will. And remember, you have relationships with people, not with companies. So I don't ever want to see like the name of a company on somebody's list that doesn't have specific people earmarked. Unless it's, oh, I need to figure out who I need to know here. Then that's a temporary situation. You're building relationships with individuals. Great place to leave it. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.